Well, we are in Matthew 12. Should be up there. All right. Okay, before I start, um, how many guys are familiar with the YMCA? It's actually, I grew up with the YMCA, and then, uh, but I haven't actually been in one for I don't know how long. But um, uh, perhaps you're not, you know that YMCA is trying to uh, get a youth camp here in uh, Lewis County. And uh, it's a problem. Perhaps you don't know what's currently going on with the YMCA, uh, their affiliates, the, the groups that they support, the things that they advocate for. Uh, it's not okay. Uh, some of the things that they advocate, especially to youth, are things like critical race theory, uh, which is a government-sanctioned form of education that teaches racism. Um, you can look it up, CRT. Uh, they advocate for defunding the police. Um, I probably would have advocated for that when I was 15. <laughs> uh, the current uh, gender ideologies, uh, their support of children being butchered with transitional surgeries, they support puberty blockers and all of this stuff. Um, they defend transgender rights, and I, I want to be careful when I say that, because we want to protect all people uh, especially vulnerable people, and so forth. But recently, if you've been paying attention to the news, uh, multiple men uh, in YMCAs are roaming freely in the girls' locker rooms naked. Okay? And when the girls address it to the YMCA, they're told that they're hateful, that they're discriminating against these men who identify as women, and uh, even when the men are caught spying on the girls when they're undressing, the YMCA overlooks that, and then uh, everyone who complains is deemed intolerant, unloving, and all of the rest. Okay. Now, uh, much of what is done in our community is completely out of our hands, but we do have the ability to let our commissioners know that we do not want this particular thing in our community. Okay. We want to protect our children especially from this invading uh, tide, or more like a tsunami of immorality. Amen? Proverbs 3.27 says this, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Now listen, my kids, and I hope that your kids, will never be a part of a YMCA camp. But I believe that we are obligated as Christians to protect all children, okay? All children from this kind of indoctrination, because that's the intent of it, okay? And this kind of exposure. They're trying to get our culture used to these things without thinking through them and the consequences that will, that will follow. And so it is within our power to, you know, inform our elected officials to represent us well, okay? Now, um, there, there are about 700 people that come to this church, and if our commissioners, all three of them, received that many emails, that's not a number that they can ignore, okay? And, and I believe with the commissioners that we have that they'll go to bat for the position that we take, okay? We don't want the YMCA here. We don't want that form of indoctrination. So I'm pleading with you, uh, when you get home today, sit down in front of your computer, write an email, and say, we do not want the YMCA here representing the kind of things that they represent, okay? Other good things can come to our community, and if we can hold back the tide of dissipation, we want to play our part, 
Okay, so I'm not telling what you, you what to do, but I'm encouraging, I'm pleading with you to send that message to our commissioners. All right? Okay. And, and by the way, this is not a political stance. This is a spiritual, theological, moral issue. And uh, we want to stave off that tide as much as we can, okay, until the Lord comes back and cleans house, all right? All right, Um, let's get to our text. Why don't you please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 12, uh, be reading out of the New King James Version, verse 33 through 37. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, always for your kindness to us. And Lord, I do pray that you would speak to our commissioners, Lord, that you would use your people, especially in the community, to to do our part to protect our young people from the moral insanity that is coming our way. Lord, we, we love all people including transgender people and those that are even pushing this upon our children. But Lord, we have an obligation to to get it to stand between them and kids. It'll be more difficult to reach people if they're indoctrinated this way. And so Lord, we, we want less evil in our community, in our world. So we pray that you would intervene in this and uh, that Lewis County, as long as possible, could be preserved as, as somewhat of a haven. And Lord, as we enter into this discussion about um, good trees and bad trees and good fruit and bad fruit, the words that we use, Lord, speak to us. Lord, bring conviction in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Go and be seated. So I did a wedding um, Friday, and uh, I forgot to tell people to sit down. But it was a great wedding. It was Gracie Wiley and, and uh, uh, John Carter Gonzalez. So it's now Gracie Gonzalez. So it's pretty fun. It was a sweet wedding. And uh, yeah. All right. So it seems to be pretty abrupt to pick it up in verse 33. So, you know, of course, we need context. The context within this particular narrative Uh, like all narratives, like everywhere in the scriptures, it's important. Uh, You've heard me say context is king. Uh, The context is what actually determines the meaning. Uh, It tells us what is actually being talked about. And Jesus was addressing these things uh, because of the blasphemy of the Pharisees who had had slandered the Holy Spirit. Uh, You know, the context is Jesus had cast out an evil spirit and, uh, and through that, he restored a man's ability to speak and to see. And when the people uh, saw what happened, some began to entertain the idea that Jesus might perhaps be the son of David, he, uh, the Messiah. But when the Pharisees heard the crowd speak favorably about Jesus, 
they were saying amongst themselves uh, and probably mingling among the crowd, no, this, this man casts out demons by uh, the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. It was a, it was a derogatory name that the Jews had come up with uh, for Satan, Beelzebul. I know our translations say Beelzebub. There's no manuscript that says Beelzebub. They all say Beelzebul, um, but I don't really care if you pronounce Satan's nickname accurately or not. <clears throat> but in other words, what they were saying is that Jesus, what he is doing is satanic. Uh, this was not a demonstration of the power of God, but of Satan. And so the Pharisees were attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil, which is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And blasphemy of the Holy Spirit occurs when contrary to all of the evidence that Jesus is the Son of God, proving himself by miracles and fulfilled prophecy, you slander what has happened. You attribute the work of the Spirit to Satan. That is the unforgivable, it's the unpardonable sin. We talked about that last week. And Jesus said, this will not be forgiven them, speaking uh, specifically of the Pharisees, either in this age or in the age to come. So this, the Pharisees here, uh, by all appearance, seem that they have sealed their fate, right? Through blasphemy, because Jesus was not known for kidding, right? Okay. But Jesus, of course, he's not finished addressing the Pharisees or giving pointed instruction to the people. And he becomes very pointed. Let's take a look again. He goes on by saying, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Of course, the tree refers to the true person. Uh, today, we like to say the authentic person. Uh, but who someone really is at their core, the place from which their, their motives are born. And the fruit refers to their conduct, their behavior, their thoughts and words, which are the real product of who they actually are. And here, Jesus is, he's really demanding consistency between the tree and its fruit for people to be real through and through, to determine what they are and to own it. How do you guys like when people are real? I was talking to, to Will yesterday. I, I like when people are just real no matter what they are. So if I'm talking to someone who is a foul-mouthed pig, at least I know who they are, okay? But if someone is covering, you know, if I introduce myself as a pastor after I've been talking to people for a minute, they go, did I use the F word? Like, like it's me that they should worry about, you know? But people suddenly, they, they want to cover up what they really are. And that's, that's bothersome to me because we want people to be genuine, whatever they genuinely are, right? Not that I want them to use foul language, foul jokes and stuff around me, but at least through that, I understand what I'm working with. You get it? Okay. And Jesus is here demanding that exact same thing. What you really are is what you are, but let's just, let's just know what we're dealing with. Okay. Now, I believe that the statement is actually tied to verse 30, where Jesus said, who, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. You see, in this statement, Jesus, he actually doesn't issue a command. He doesn't tell people to, you know, pick one side or the other, but the implication is clear. One should side with Jesus. 
Isn't that what he's implying there? One should side with Jesus. But here in verse 33, Jesus is making a demand. It is a, it's an imperative. It's a command. There are good trees or bad trees. And he's saying you need to know which one you are and you need to own it. This is about self-evaluation. And Jesus doesn't say which tree someone ought to be in the verse, but everyone knows which one they should be. It's amazing what you can insist upon without saying it, right? Jesus was a master at that. I think moms are masters at that. (laughs) Everyone knows this. If you're a bad tree that bears bad fruit, you need to repent. You need to change. You need to become a good tree that produces good fruit. So how do you know which one you are? He says, by the fruit of your life. That's how you identify what state you're in. If it's consistent with the heart of God, the tree is good, but if it looks like these blaspheming, self-righteous, no-good vermin called the Pharisees, the tree is rotten to the core. Rotten, okay? Every tree is known by its fruit. So what kind of fruit do we produce? And by this question, I'm not asking you to evaluate others (laughs) and hope they're listening to what I'm saying. It's not uncommon after service for people to say, Man, I really wish so-and-so was listening. That will not be said to me for months now. (laughs) This kind of stuff from Jesus is meant for each of us to evaluate ourselves. Whatever is true about you, it will eventually be revealed by your fruit, your words, your conduct, what you write on social media, okay? And to know what you are in truth is extremely important. And the sooner we encounter the truth about ourselves, the better, unless you're one of these Pharisees. That information from Jesus could have come later. But with great clarity, Jesus exposes what kind of tree they are, and he does it in a, in a, as a way of communicating to the crowds. And he keeps doing this. Later on in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is going to confront the Pharisees one last time, and expose really the moral inconsistencies within them and how they're blind to it because of pride. And that's extremely important when you begin to evaluate yourself, okay? Pride, pride is the worst. So among other things, he says this to them. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You are not what you appear to be to people. You're something different. Now see, as we've said, Israel, the people of Israel respected these men. They looked up to them. They sought their direction and counsel. They tried to follow their example of spirituality, but on the inside of these men was just pure hypocrisy and lawlessness. They had this front that was hiding the truth of what was inside, but Jesus was not fooled. Their lives were just a charade, a farce. It was a lie. Their hearts were corrupt. So Jesus, into the crowd, he's saying, either make the tree good and its fruit good, Make the tree bad, it's fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. For these guys, the tree was bad, and so was the fruit. 
And you see, they were so proud, they had no intention of knowing the truth about themselves, and therefore they, they didn't care about changing any of it. And because of what that led to, it was just too late. But for the people, change was possible, repentance was possible, it was necessary, and Jesus is demanding it, and he can. And then he turns back to the boys, and he says, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, at this point, the comparison or the illustration, it's changed dramatically, right? Uh, The people were compared to good trees and bad trees and their corresponding fruit, but that sort of illustration isn't suitable for the Pharisees, okay? These men are not merely compared to that, but the only appropriate comparison is a snake to its children. He's saying, you guys are the offspring of poisonous snakes. How nice of Jesus to point that out. And because of what they really were, evil and corrupt at the core, he says, you can't even say good things, okay? If you can't say anything nice, the Pharisees would have had to have just been mute, okay? (laughs) The scriptures affirm that a clean thing cannot come out of an unclean thing. It's just what is unclean contaminates everything else. Again, what did they say that was so evil? Well, they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They slandered the one who gave them life and breath. They used the breath given to them to slander the one that gave it. It seems like a dangerous thing to me. You know what I'm saying? And then Jesus, he makes this haunting statement, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever comes out of our mouth represents the greater reality of who we, who we are. If you think about that, it's not very charming, um, as your children know, as Jeremy pointed out. Okay? Whatever comes out of our mouth represents the greater reality of who we are. We know what the abundance of the Pharisees' heart was that was evil, and what came out of them when they were jealous, that was blasphemy. But what is the abundance of your heart and mine? That's what Jesus wants us to evaluate. What is it that comes out of us? when we are slighted, or like the Pharisees, when we're jealous, when we're mistreated, what comes out of us when we're overlooked or under pressure, when our children irritate us, when our spouse is is unkind to us, when traffic is not cooperating. I've driven with some of you people. (laughs) I've had to drive with myself. What comes out of us when our boss or coworkers come against us, when they gossip about us, When a brother or sister in Christ confronts us, pride is what comes out of us. Yeah. But I mean, I don't think we should push quite so hard. What comes out of your mouth in regular conversation? What comes out of you? What kind of jokes do you tell the guys at work? How do you talk about your spouse to other people? What do you laugh at? What do you rejoice over? Whatever the abundance of your heart is, it will come out of your mouth or it will come out on social media. You know, those platforms that liberate the timid and cowardly to spew venom onto everyone who injures them or differs with them. They, won't, they wouldn't dare say that to the person in person. They wouldn't dare say it in, in, a, in public because they're timid or cowardly. But they'll get on that platform as if they're safe, as if it somehow counts but doesn't, as if there's no consequences, whether socially or eternally, and say crazy things. 
Now, I don't get on social media unless there's somebody in our church that is a little bit creepy, and I'm trying to figure out who they are, okay? And typically, I'm, I'm looking over Angela's shoulder as she's looking for me. <laughs> the mouth, or however one may spew things out of his heart, reveals much. I remember when I was in a middle school art class, and one of my classmates used the F-bomb and then realized that the teacher was standing right behind him. And my classmate apologized and said that it slipped, and he doesn't actually use that language. And my art teacher, Mr. Lonsway, my wrestling teacher as well, said that it, it slipped because that's exactly the kind of language you use. If it wasn't a word that you used, it wouldn't have slipped out because what isn't there can't slip out. It's like the contents of a cup. If the cup doesn't have any coffee in it, no coffee can spill out of it when it's bumped, at least in this world, okay? Only the contents in the cup can come out of the cup. The same is true of the heart and what is found there in abundance. It will surely come out. All you need is a circumstance, right? That's all you need. So whatever comes out of your mouth is a revelation. It's an unveiling. It's just a telltale sign of the contents of what's there. Those not-so-pleasant things may only come out of our mouths when we're angry or frustrated, but they come out because we've housed them, we've protected them, and we've failed to repent of them. They are at our disposal because we kept them in our arsenal, right? It's true. We hold on to them so we can get back at others, so we can vent our feelings, to express our rage when we deem it appropriate. We even say that those words are appropriate for those occasions. Those people deserved it. My wife, my husband had it coming. You'd never confess that to me, but it's true in your heart, okay? And instead of being grieved that we have misrepresented Christ, we, we give a thousand excuses out of our pride, which is also mingled in the abundance of our heart. Pride is there to poison every intelligent thought that we have, every moral evaluation that we make. Jesus says a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Good man, good woman, evil man, evil. Which one are you? Which one am I? We, we have to be honest with ourselves. And if you struggle being honest with yourself, which is, it's not uncommon, by the way, because as we've mentioned, pride, it blinds us, it shields us from the truth. So if you're unsure about yourself, or if you're too sure of yourself, ask a trusted friend who has a tendency to tell it like it is. If you don't have one of those friends, I do, and I'll loan them to you, okay? <laughs> I'll send them your way. <laughs> if you dare go to a friend like that, you should probably brace yourself. <laughs> you might not hear what you want, but you'll likely hear what you need. And once you become aware of yourself in truth, you have a choice that needs to be made. Let me give it to you the way Paul did to Pastor Timothy, which, by the way, is very encouraging he says, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of honor and some for dishonor. So household vessels or containers in the ancient world, just like today, houses had different vessels for, for different uses. 
Some of those vessels were placed high on a shelf or a mantle, somewhere where everybody could see them, while other vessels were hidden out of sight. Some vessels were for beauty, to be admired, like an elegant, now is it vase or vase? Lori? If it's over $10, it's a vase. Okay. Did you prepare that answer? It's very good. Okay. <laughs> while other vessels were used for rubbish or taking care of business, like a toilet. When we discover which one we are, we have a choice to make. Paul goes on, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Years ago, a book was written about dumb things that good Christians believe. And in the book, the author asserts that, that, that good Christians believe something really dumb, and that's that they can change. Well, Jesus, who invented Christianity, he happens to disagree. In fact, he demands change, and without it, nobody can be saved, and without it, no believer can be sanctified, period. Change begins with repentance, which means, repentance means to change the mind, and by repentance, the mind is changed to see things about yourself that God already knows. You're seeing yourself the way God does, that we're sinful, we're rebellious, and that we need to be converted and then conform to his word and his will. You guys, this is the, the beautiful thing about Christianity. We, through repentance, can be converted from a toilet to a vessel of honor, to an object of God's holy wrath to a child of his, his deepest affection. We can be an instrument that is clean and sanctified. It's, it's useful for God's glory, one that, that honors him and is a blessing to others. Through our repentance, by the way, which God energizes by his spirit, we can make the tree, the vessel good, and then we can offer up to him good fruit, honorable service. We can be cleansed and be made useful. But we must repent. The words here from Paul began this way. He says, nevertheless, the, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart. That is, repent of iniquity. Iniquity. Isn't that a weird word? Iniquitous. It means sinfulness. It's immoral. Those who name the name of Christ are those that have confessed him as Lord and Savior, as their master and king. He says those who confess Christ must depart. They must repent of iniquity. Otherwise, he is not their Lord. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? Luke 6, 46. And such a thing would be just nonsense. It's not consistent. You claim to be a good tree, but you have nasty fruit. You call me Lord, but you disobey my word. You present yourself as a vessel of honor, but you smell like a septic tank. Okay, yeah. A Christian is someone who is repentant. It's someone who's actually known for repentance. They confess their sins, and they are having to always be yielding to the Lordship of Christ. Now, this, of course, initially happens at our conversion when we're saved, but because of indwelling sin, because it remains, repentance will be necessary as a habit of life for Christians. 
I think that we need to understand that. Because if we understand that, that because I'm sinful by nature, and that it has not been, the presence of sin has not been purged, has it? Spouses? Okay. It hasn't. The propensity, desires for sin remains. We slip into it very easily. Christians should realize that. And so repentance should be this habit of life. And the quicker you, you realize that, the quicker you can push your pride aside and say, I'm disgusting and you're disgusting. It's not, I'm okay, you're okay. <laughs> That's not okay. okay. But we repent because we stumble, we fail. It should be a habit of ours and it should be a habit that we perform quickly when we sin to immediately repent. And by that, we get back on the path. We grow closer to Christ. We are growing in and toward the likeness of Jesus. It happens through repentance. We will be free from sin and sinning when we're in his presence. That, that ain't yet, obviously. Okay. But the process of growing in his likeness is hindered by this lack of obedience, this lack of repentance. And if the abundance of our heart is just corrupt and we're unrepentant, it's going to show up in words, in social media. And Jesus is saying that it puts us in great danger. He says, but I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. So what, what is an idle word? An idle word is really it's void of anything good or wholesome. And when you create a vacuum like that, what fills it? Nothing good. The, the real truth is, is in the absence of good is evil. When you remove all good, there's no such thing as neutrality. There's just evil. It, this is, uh, these are pernicious words, destructive, harmful, disgusting, or cruel. Paul comments on this language this way. He says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Now we know that blasphemy is slander and filthy language is shameful or abrasive speech. This person has a foul mouth. Um, Spiros Zodiades, you ever heard that name? If, if you're ever looking for a Greek first and last name, there you have it. Spiros Zodiades, okay? He comments on this passage. He says, the person who has been redeemed by Christ should never utter improper or filthy words, which he may have uttered in his life of unbelief. A Christian ought to have changed vocabulary and the genuineness of one's Christianity can be discerned by his vocabulary. In other words, a tree is known by its fruit. For the unrepentant, every idle word will be counted back to them on the day of judgment in order for them to be held accountable to each and every one of them. What a sobering reality that is. A.T. Robertson, the A stands for Archibald. Anybody know an Archibald? That's a name of antiquity, almost. Yeah. A.T. Robertson is the man who essentially mapped all of Greek grammar for us. Very interesting individual. He says, Jesus, who knows our very thought insists that our words reveal our thoughts and form a just basis for the interpretation of our character. I'm not sure I like that comment very much. Yeah. Our thoughts, as they are articulated by our words, 
they sound the alarm and expose our true character, all of which will be examined on the day of judgment if we do not repent and if we are not cleansed of them. Paul adds this, he says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, he says, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Notice how foolish talking and coarse jesting are lumped in with fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, and filthiness, lest we make them some much lesser insignificant sin, Paul raises them to the top. A foolish talking is, is godless, sinful speech. And coarse jesting, you guys listen, it's raunchy wit. It's raunchy wit. I know these well. I was in the military and I uh, worked in construction. Certain words and certain kinds of speech, certain posts on social media, are like playing Russian roulette, but every chamber is loaded. Every chamber. Well, that's a bit dramatic, Pastor Ben, isn't it? Is it? In the very next verse, Paul says that these people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Sounds pretty serious. And then back in Matthew, Jesus says this, for by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Seems that words are pretty important, yeah? Your choice of words will either vindicate you on judgment day or they will condemn you. Your choice of words will either load every chamber of the revolver or they will deliver you on judgment day. It determines much. God, you guys, this is very interesting. God is ordained to reveal himself through his word, right? Guess how he is ordained that we reveal ourselves? By our word. And so Jesus says, we need to make the tree good so that our fruit is good and well-pleasing to God. We need to cleanse the vessel that we might be fit for the master's use. So young people, listen, please. We are, we are habit-forming creatures, okay? And the habits we develop when we are young will either be a blessing to us and those around us, or they will be a curse to us and those around us when we get older. And I mean 20 25, 30. You guys, now is the time to fill your heart with an abundance of good things, wholesome speech, sacrifice, self-control, gratitude, and kindness. Changing one's habits of speech can be as difficult as overcoming an addiction to drugs. Now is the time to be filled with the Spirit and the Word of God, to practice the fruit of the Spirit in every context, and as the Proverbs say, to guard your heart. Fill it with good things. Do not mess around with your heart. Now, real quick, just as an observation before I close, I want to point something out that in this whole dialogue with the Pharisees and the people, Jesus has turned everything around. You see, it began with the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of Israel. And what they did is, is they would mingle with the public with their authority from the Sanhedrin to scrutinize the moral conduct of the people. And so they come with all this pomp and this authority to Jesus, and they try to, you know, attribute his actions to Satan and then judge him as the servant of Satan. They're like trying to impress the people, exert their authority, 
But Jesus turns it all around and he condemns their scrutiny of him. And he demonstrates that he is the one that judges these matters. He asserts his authority over the Pharisees. Jesus placed himself above the highest authority in Israel. He demonstrates that he is Lord, he is the judge, and he has final say on all matters. It's just an interesting way that he, he just flips all of their nonsense on its head. And with this ultimate authority of his, he tells us that every word we speak is important. Now, here's what I want to close with. As Jesus has demonstrated, it's, it's imperative that we know in truth whether we're a good tree or a bad tree, a, a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. But it's not always that easy to determine. As we've said, it's, it's not that easy to be aware of ourselves. Sin and pride are deceptive. Pride will always allow us to see every detail of someone else's faults, while all the while blinding us to our own or, or justifying them. This is dangerous, but it's common. To solve this problem, King David did something that required honesty and courage. He, he prayed this way. Because, see, here's the challenge that David faced. He's the king, and there's only one man in the kingdom that ever dared confront David, and that was Nathan, the prophet. But Nathan wasn't always available. Amen? And so David is in this vulnerable spot where he has no one that can just come and just speak truth to him. And maybe that's you. Or maybe you've shut yourself off to where you won't hear anything. But you need to hear. And there's someone who speaks brutally honest to us. So he goes to the Lord and he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. If you bring that request to the Lord, he will find something like that. Okay? He will. There's nothing unknown to God about you. He knows you through and through. He knows you far better than you do. And that's why David called upon God to reveal his heart to him and share the truth. He honestly wanted to be aware of himself. That's why he came to the Lord. It wasn't false piety. Because what he wanted was he wanted to be purged of anything that offended the Lord. <clears throat> David wanted to walk in harmony with God that was, but in order to do that, he had to be unhindered by his own sin. And David knew something very important that many people ignore. He knew that if he ignored sin in his life, the Lord would not hear him. Psalm 66, 18. So whatever we do, and we ought to do it often, is we ought to plead with God to make us aware of ourselves, the presence of sin, its deceitfulness, its rebellion. We should, we should know. And if he uses a friend to point it out to us, don't abuse the messenger. Don't do that to them and their faithfulness. Take it to heart, take it home, consider it, and it will probably be true. So repent and be thankful. So that as the author of Hebrews says, you might that I might bear the peaceable fruit of righteousness for the glory of God, which will then be beneficial to my family, to my friends, the community of faith, and the rest of the world. Please stand up and we'll pray. <clears throat> well, Father, your word says that, that not only do you demand repentance from us, you have said that if we confess our sins, that you will demonstrate your faithfulness and your righteousness to us, and that you'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Lord, help us to depend upon your faithfulness. Help us to be purged, Lord, of anything that corrupts and poisons. Lord, help us to be ever conscious of ourselves by your spirit so that it's healthy. Because Satan loves to point out our faults too, but it's destructive. Lord, humble us and help us to repent. Help us to be restored to those around us. But Lord, you weren't, you weren't kidding. We need to be cleansed. We need to be sanctified and useful for your work. We need to be a blessing to those around us. So wash us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.